sometimes you get afraid to ask the question because I'm afraid of the answer. Am I working on the business that I really want to have? But the answer that I came up with was another question. It's like, do I have to continue with the existing business? Is that a given? Okay, I'm going to allow myself to go there. I'm going to ask these uncomfortable questions. The tweet that's pinned to the top of my profile lists my three commitments for this year. Those commitments are my guiding principles, the things I'm actively trying to cultivate more of in my life, the ideas that guide the decisions I make. My three commitments for 2020 are question normal, expect success, and embrace uncertainty. Now, most people I know have had to recalculate their goals for 2020, but these commitments, well, they're more relevant than ever. In fact, I've actually had a few people at me on Twitter and ask if I'm psychic. And while each of my commitments for 2020 have been a huge help for navigating this wild year, it's that last one, embrace uncertainty, that's really asked me to grow. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that digs deep into what's really working to run and grow a small business today, from how we market and manage to how we prime our mindset for success. Uncertainty seems to be the theme of 2020. With everything that's happened so far this year and no real confidence in what might be coming, we've all had to recalculate. Some business owners I know have had to completely rework their business models. Others have taken huge in-person gatherings online. Others are discovering they have skills that are incredibly useful in the pandemic economy. And still others still aren't sure what they'll do next to bring in some revenue. As I've worked with business owners on making decisions and reworking plans, there's one thing I keep coming back to, though. While 2020 might have presented us with a unique batch of unpredictable circumstances, uncertainty is not a new condition of entrepreneurship. Uncertainty is baked into the operating system of how we function every day as business owners, whether we like it or not, and whether we like to admit it or not. When I chose embracing uncertainty as one of my commitments for this year, I didn't have a pandemic in mind. I wasn't gearing up for a historic upheaval in the labor market. I didn't predict the long overdue tectonic shift in public opinion about systemic racism and police brutality. I chose to commit to embracing uncertainty because I wanted to take more courageous action. I wanted to see what would happen for me and my business if I stopped trying to predict the right thing to do and started leaning into my full potential and my full vision. And while you might think I'm a natural risk taker, I can assure you, I am not. This idea wasn't really mine at all. It was a very important lesson I learned from my friend Charlie Gilkey during an interview for this very podcast. Before we get into this week's interview with Lou Blazer, I want to share a snippet from this interview to tee up all of the conversations we're having this month around embracing uncertainty. Charlie's answer to my question about the difference between taking the smart next step or the courageous next step sent my mind whirling. If it were a matter of intelligence and information, then a lot of us would be doing more than we're doing, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's Googleable, it's findoutable, right? Um, we live in a deluge of information. So if it was just about information and intelligence, I think we would see a different quality of work put out in the world. It's not. Um, because um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. 
the the way the questions that you're referencing are ones that I use in workshop and I use with clients sometimes because they instantly know what their smartest next step is. Mm-hmm. Like here, I should do X, but they also instantly know what their most courageous next step is. Mm-hmm. Um, and their natural tendency is to go towards the smart step mm-hmm. um, because the way I don't know why we do it not going to go there. But what we do is when we look at certainty and when we look at smart steps, we actually overlay that with what's going to, what am I certain is going to give me an outcome? Like how do I raise my level of certainty with my next step? But when you do your best work, you have to exchange clarity for certainty. Meaning when you do work that changes your world, that changes your clients or your customers' worlds, that changes your community's world, you don't know what the outcome of that is going to be. You can't be certain Mm -hmm. of that. But you can be clear on purpose. You can be clear on mission. You can be clear on need. You can be clear on your triangulation of all of those things. So you get clarity, but you don't get certainty. And a lot of times, because I do so much work with people on strategy execution and planning and goal setting, They're like, well, I'm really trying to get clear on what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't think that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get certain that this, you're trying to predict certainty or you're trying to hang on to certainty that what we do next is going to work. I can tell you with certainty that what we need to do may or may not work. (laughs) And it's still 100% the next step we should take, right? And so the, the first question is, what's the smart next step? And then what's the most courageous next step? The reality is your most courageous next step is almost always the smartest next step. But we have to get to that place and let go of that certainty, that fear of failure, that fear of ostracism. So I think a lot of people will ask me, like, how do we develop more courage? And I'll say, look at those micro moments in your day and choose the option that requires a little bit more vulnerability. Choose the options that may not work out. Um, choose the option that increase uncertainty rather than decrease uncertainty. Um, choose the options where, um, you know, the comfort would dictate one, one way of going. Um, growth would dictate another. Choose the option for growth. Um, and I think if you choose those in those email exchanges, um, if you choose them in the conversations with clients and customers, if you choose them in conversation with teammates or partners, um, it can make a world of difference. So there's a lot of fear that lurks under those once you just peel back a layer or two. So for me personally, I know what those things are. And I'm like, I'm not going to be any more like, I'm not going to want to do this tomorrow any more than I'm going to want to do it today. It's not like I'm magically going to wake up and like, I'm really comfortable with sending this email to Tara today. I wasn't yesterday, but I'm ready today. Yeah. No, you get ready. Right. Um, and I'll pause here because a few years ago I was having a great conversation with her, with a friend and she, we were talking about my military combat experience and she's like, Charlie, I, I don't understand. Like, I think in that situation, I would just curl up in a ball and cry. Right. Just be so full of tears. And I was like, you know, the thing is you fire through the tears, you work through the tears, the tears don't go away. <laughs> you just learn how to work through and with them. Right. And so in the same sort of sense with this conversation around courage, I get so frustrated when people are like, get over your fears and like, you know, move past your fears. Mm -hmm. No work with them. Right. Um, Learn how to operate in the arena of fear in the arena of 
uncertainty in the arena of of um, vulnerability in the arena where failure is possible. And you're going to be far better off than trying to build your way out of the the, the um, chance that you might be afraid, the chance that you might fail, the chance that you might be ostracized from your tribe, the chance, you know, I, I think we avoid running into the, the, courageous fire. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, real fire, but we avoid running into it when actually it's a sign of exactly what we, we should be running towards. Running towards the fire. That's what I committed to for this year. And while I might not have run towards every fire I could have run toward, I haven't backed away from uncertainty or tough decisions. I've sent the hard emails. I've faced the criticism. I've shown up to lead and it's served me pretty well. But my story is just one story among many. We are all facing uncertainty, as we do every day. So I wanted to talk with business owners who have their own stories about embracing uncertainty this month. And the person I thought of first was Lou Blazer, the founder and host of Second Breaks. I've watched Lou embrace uncertainty over and over again throughout the years. I've watched her step outside her comfort zone, and I've watched her take courageous action. Earlier this year, she announced that she'd made the decision to upend her business, then a career coaching company for late boomers and Gen Xers, and move back to the Philippines to help out with her aging mom. And while she could have tried to continue with her business as is, she made the bold move to use the change as a way to rethink everything. And that's where this conversation starts. And throughout, Lou and I talk about how her business has evolved, the questions she asked herself to create the new plan, and how she could use her existing assets in new ways, and how she started experimenting with her new ideas. Now, let's find out what works for Lou Blazer. Lou Blazer, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So (laughs) when I thought about this topic, I thought of you immediately because for me, you represent someone who is incredibly intentional and thoughtful about how she approaches the challenges and questions that you face in your business. And recently, um, you have been facing a lot of questions and challenges in your business. Uh, and I want to dig into some of those things, but also look at this from a broader perspective as well. So let's just get right into it. Earlier this year, you made the decision to start the process of moving back to the Philippines to help out with your mom. Can you share what that decision-making process sounded like in your head, looked like maybe with your family? Sure. Um, Which, by the way, that decision has been turned upside down by the pandemic, which is another thing to talk about. But uh, back to the original decision, um, looking back now, it didn't actually require a lot of mental wrangling (laughs) at least compared to the other decisions that I I make, especially as this one was going to result in a major life change. Uh, Relatively speaking, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was easeful. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason that was the case is because I I had these sort of seeds, if I could use that word, that had already been planted in the background for a while that had been germinating quietly <laughs> in the background That so that when my sister and I finally talked about this thing in December last year, which 
by the way, doesn't December feel like ages and ages? It really does. <laughs> so it was just like seven months ago. But anyway, when she and I finally sat down in December to talk about this, it didn't require a lot of mental and emotional energy for me to come up with the answer. So what are these seeds that I am talking about? So um, one of them is this idea that at, at some point, and some of these seeds are personal, Tara, so I, I hope it's okay to share them Please. here. Um, and so like one of the seeds is this idea that at some point I would step up and help my sister with the caring of my mom. I mean, that idea has always been there. I may not always be talking about it directly. It's not necessarily the subject of the family conversations all the time, but it always was always been there. And it was just a matter of when and how and what shape it was going to take form. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this, another idea was um, this idea of um, a fresh, <laughs> a fresh start. Like mm-hmm. I'd always been curious and attracted to idea of the, this idea of letting go. Like I would see these pictures on Instagram or hear these stories of people like, they would refurbish a bus to live in a bus or like in an airstream or like in a tiny, tiny house. And I was always curious about that. Like, what would it take to, what would it feel like to let go of all these things that I own and really hold on only to like what might fit in like three or four suitcases or like in an airstream? Like, what would that look like? So I was always interested in that. Again, an idea that was there, but I never really act on it because like, like, you know, I, I couldn't act on it. And then there was this other question that um, you actually posed this question in one of the Commitment Blueprint workshops last year. Um, you asked this question, what do you want more in your life? I had never asked that question precisely yeah. that way. I had never that combination of words. But as soon as you asked that, I said to myself that, that question, those combination of that combination of words, that had always been there in the background. I just didn't know that that was actually what I was asking myself. And so when my sister and I finally talked in December and, you know, we talked about this idea of me relocating temporarily in the Philippines to help her out, I found myself like all these seeds sort of coming together. Not that I finally found the answers to the questions. I wouldn't say it that way because there are lots of questions still, but that I, I think I would say that I found a new, like new things to try or new lanes to try is probably what I would say. Mm. This reminds me of a conversation I just had yesterday afternoon with a group where we were talking about how this present moment where we are societally, culturally is asking us to re-envision what we want from our lives, from our businesses. Um, and we were we were speaking of it specifically around the vision that we have for our businesses. Is it big enough? Is it uh, impactful enough? Yes. You know, is it solid enough? And we got into a conversation around the opportunity <laughs> to be really creative during this time. But then the flip side of that as well, which is what do you let go of? What are you willing to let go of to be creative, to create that vision? And so I'm curious if you can kind of speak a little bit more to that. What did you decide to commit to vision wise in this process? Or maybe, you know, 
over the last wild six, seven months. Um, and what did you commit to let go of in this process? So um, I just want to, before I answer that question directly, I want to put uh, put it in context that the questioning of the business um, isn't new to me, mm-hmm. that it didn't start with this decision. Um, in fact, it was one of those other seeds that had been there in the background. And you might actually find this, well, I don't know if you'll find this interesting, but <laughs> I, I definitely will. <laughs> but I could trace exactly when this seed of questioning was planted because it was in one of the mastermind programs, experiences that I joined a couple of years ago. Do you remember? I was part of a mastermind mm-hmm. experience and I was part of this group and I didn't talk about it in this group because sometimes you get afraid. Well, I get afraid. I get afraid to ask the question because I'm afraid of the answer mm-hmm. that I was going to get. Like, and, and actually, like it, it's, it sounds crazy to say it that way. Like, why would you be afraid to ask a question because you're afraid of the answer? Like what madness? But but that is exactly what was happening to me. As a result, while I was going through that mastermind experience, there was one question that I was asking that was in my mind is like, am I in the right business? Mm-hmm. Am I working on the business that I really want to have? And at that time, I didn't want to ask that question because it was like, it was like, sacrilegious even like almost ask that question because like what if the answer is no <laughs> like <laughs> what then right but you know the moment you ask the question it got asked like it's there it's out there and it's it's there it's just there in the back of your mind it's growing it's taking form so when when this opportunity to relocate to the philippines um or you know occurred or presented itself to me, I started to ask my question, myself some questions. It's like, you know, I started with, okay, Lou, you can do whatever you want <laughs> when, when, with this move, like, how would I continue with my existing business? What would that look like? But the answer that I came up with was another question is like, but do, do I, do I have, do I have to continue with the existing business? Is that a given? And as soon as I allow myself to ask the question, oh boy, the floodgates just, oh, you know, just open. And um, yeah, so <laughs> we just stopped there because I was like, oh my goodness, am I, okay, I'm going to allow myself to go there. I'm going to ask these yeah. uncomfortable questions. So it sounds like this decision that like there was a very obvious answer to it. Like you said, this is didn't require a lot of emotional or mental labor on your part. You knew this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. This is this is who I want to be. But that m- making that decision allowed you to wade into much more uncertain territory, much yes. e- uh, maybe emotionally dangerous <laughs> territory with yeah. thinking about your business. Would you say that's true? Yes, exactly. So it could have very easily been I decided to relocate to help out my sister and my mom, but continue on with the current situation, you know, with my current business. Yeah. But um, I, I guess I chose to do the other thing, which is question everything and really embrace this idea of the, the equivalent of me 
living in a bus, like the equivalent of me letting go of what I think are givens, you know, givens in my life and, and really ask what, what, you know, do I, does this have to stay? Do I want this to stay? Uh, does, you know, what, what stays, what goes basically. Yeah. Well, that brings up a good point. Let's kind of, we can uh, pull back a little bit from the emotionally fraught territory for a second. (laughs) Um, Because it's not like you were running a brick and mortar store. You really Mm -hmm. could have taken the business that you had with you to the Philippines. So explain what the business was before and then how you have started to re-envision it. Okay. So in fact, it's funny that you said it that way because that was exactly what I was talking to my sister about when we were talking about this. I said, well, I I built a business that was by design uh, location independent, I guess is the phrase that we mm-hmm. use, right? So I could pick it up and go do anywhere as long as I have internet, right? And so that is fine. Um, but I think that, um, like I said, I, I was, I had these underlying sort of questions about the business that I was doing, the work that I was doing. So on the one level, I was saying, yes, I am committed to this. This is the business that I chose to build. Yes, I'm committed to the work. But on another level, there was a disconnect as in, you know, um, this never really, you know, there were certain things that never really felt comfortable, Mm -hmm. entirely comfortable. It's like the hat looked good on the rack, but it never really fit well. On the head, if you know what I mean. Cats never fit me well on my head. <laughs> <laughs> A very large head. So, um, so that was kind of what was what was going on. I think that. So, I mean, if, to to talk about very specific or tangible things. So, mm-hmm. um, I I had a service based business basically. So I I had so let me just maybe step back and put things into some, some, some kind of context. So mm-hmm. it has a little bit, it, it means, or it's not all over the place. So um, back in 2013, beginning of 2014, I decided to step away from my corporate career and the path that I took isn't the advised route, the preferred route. Usually people say grow a side business <laughs> yeah. and then leave your career. <laughs> That's not what I did. Um, I had been on sabbatical. I had taken a sabbatical with the full intention of returning to uh, my career. But then during the sabbatical, I had allowed myself to ask a lot of what if questions and dream a little. And so I decided to like, okay, I'm going to try this out. Now it's, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to go off on my own and build something. And so I had wanted, so the one thing that I always knew from the get-go, from the beginning is what marketplace, what kind of conversations I wanted to be a part of. So I wanted to be a part of the conversation around the meaning of work in someone's life, right? I wanted to be part of the conversation around work, careers, or the part of our lives that is about work. But I I now know, I didn't know then, but I now know that there are many different ways of entering that conversation, I chose to enter that conversation by being a career coach, by being Mm. a pivot advisor, um, because I thought 
Well, that was what made sense. And I looked at other role models and that was the path that they took. And so I followed the path. So a known path, a blueprint, if you must, that I could follow. Mm -hmm. And um, which is very similar, I guess, to the way that I grew my corporate career. Like I looked up to the partners ahead of me and I said to myself, well, that's how they got to partner. And so I will follow that path. And so I kind of carried the same sort of mindset when I was building, my when I got into the business. Um, and so that was the thing that I did. Um, the, the funny thing was that in and around the time that I was considering doing this, uh, leaving corporate America for business, I had actually written down my my vi vision, if I can use the word, of the kind of business that I wanted to build, the kind of work that I wanted to, to build. And this is coming from a vantage point of a person who has never built business, who has always mm -hmm. just known a career in corporate America. But I had written things like, you know, publishing. Like I had written things like, uh, publishing white papers, publishing mm. books, publishing magazines. Those were the things that I was writing to myself, but I never did anything on them. Like the more I made a decision to go into business, I took online business programs and probably got distracted and got sidetracked and never, ever did anything to do with those original ideas. And it was only a few months ago when I, it was by accident, I was looking at my dump, you know, all the, the stuff that I was on my, on my Evernote. And I found this series of notes that I'd written to myself dated December 2013, January 2014. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what had happened to these ideas that I never really actually even considered or even actually pursued? Um, and so I again, I started asking myself, what would this look like? So now, though. I have the benefit of many years of working online business. So I know a lot more now that I did back then. So that's a good thing. And so when I asked myself, when I allowed myself um, to ask myself the question, what would this look like? I came up with slightly like a an evolved <laughs> vision. So not so much publishing white papers, which is what I knew back then. Right. But like an evolve, you know what I mean? But yeah. But like what would a publishing company for me look like now? What would that what would that look like? So yeah. that's that's basically the process that I went through. You'll hear more about how Lou started to build her vision for her media company in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. When things are always changing, it's hard to know what your customers or clients need for support. Their questions or priorities might change from week to week. So how do you create solutions that meet them where they're at and adapt to their changing needs? The best way I've found to embrace uncertainty when it comes to supporting the business owners I work with is by giving them an easy way to ask the questions that are on their mind. We've built a community that lets them put their cards out on the table and get the support, ideas, or inspiration they need to take the next step. The best way I've found to embrace uncertainty when it comes to supporting the business owners I work with is by giving them an easy way to ask the questions that are on their mind. We've built a community that lets them put their cards out on the table and get the support, ideas, or feedback they need right now, no matter how quickly their goals might change. 
And we built that community on Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy to create a responsive, member-driven support community that also hosts your online courses or group coaching programs. It's a flexible, adaptable system for helping your customers get what they need, even if their needs are constantly changing. Plus, Mighty Networks helps your members connect and support each other too. It's the perfect way to build a flexible, adaptable support system for uncertain times. See for yourself by starting your own Mighty Network today. Go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the Commitment Blueprint Sessions. Now, a lot has changed this year, and the future, well, that's still uncertain. How has your business adapted? If you're like many business owners I know, you've had to adjust or even scrap the plans you made for your business back in January or December. Right now, you might just be taking each day as it comes. But what if you could create a flexible plan that helps you focus even when things are, well, weird? If you had that kind of plan, could you spot new opportunities? Could you take action on what's most important to you? Could you help move your business forward instead of treading water? Yes, I absolutely believe you could. And the Commitment Blueprint Sessions can help you create exactly that sort of plan. The Commitment Blueprint is a flexible and highly effective system for finding your focus, choosing your next steps, and planning for the future. The Commitment Blueprint approaches goal setting and planning differently so you can thrive. It focuses on commitments instead of goals that flex to match the moment and guide you when things get weird because they almost always do. It helps you create plans that have structure and choice so you have stability and flexibility. And it helps you tap into vision-driven personal accountability so that your day-to-day work is tied to what you want to create and experience. If you're ready to tackle the rest of 2020 with a fresh perspective and new flexible plan for your business, join me for this four-part live workshop, July 20th through 24th. Together, we'll set your commitments, craft your strategic priorities, plan your projects, and create a personal accountability system for getting the work done. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash commitment to find out more. That's explorewhatworks.com slash commitment. Well, tell us then what you do think it looks like today in terms of like what... What are you building right now, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> so I um, so I started with, first I looked at my existing business and I said, okay, well, what do I have that could be, that could form like the foundation? Like I didn't want to throw everything out the window, but I said like, what do I have that can form the foundation of this business? So I had already have a, a podcast that I had been publishing uh, for two years. So I, I, I said to myself like, Okay, I th- that definitely I wanted to keep it. I knew okay, this goes into the keep column. Um, but I also knew that it needed to evolve. So I asked myself, like, what would a podcast that is a product of a publishing company look like as opposed to a podcast that is like a branding marketing project of a service-based business? And so I knew that it would have to have its own value proposition. It would have to have its own reason for existing, for being, to stand on its own. And the interesting thing, Tara, is that by 
shifting my idea or my thinking around the podcast, it allowed me to be more expansive. And I'm so excited about it because it allows me to be a little bit more creative, to cover topics that went beyond what I was originally talking about on the podcast when it was a branding sort of project for my service-based business. So it was fantastic allowing myself to go there and being more expansive and um, thinking of the podcast on its own, having its own value proposition, having its own value, separate from anything else, right? And so, and and also to change sort of the the opportunities that it, it affords me in terms of the kinds of topics that I could explore. That really gets me excited. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because this has been fascinating to me and I love what you're exploring on the podcast now. What were the kinds of things or how did you approach the podcast in the past? And specifically, what were you putting in your show versus what you're putting in your show now? Okay. So when I started the podcast, I had a career coaching business. And so I was basically, I was putting myself out there as somebody you might hire as an advisor Mm -hmm. to help guide your career pivot or your career development. And so a lot of my podcast episodes um, showcased my process, showcased my thoughts around pivots, or I was interviewing people who have gone through career pivots or career changes or interviewing my clients. And so, and they were all interesting stories to share. Uh, and I learned a ton uh, from, from listening to those stories and just also the craft of being a podcast host. Mm-hmm. I've learned a ton from, from, from those initial years, but doing this now. So again, I am still in the same conversation around careers, around meaningful work, around continued relevance, right, of our work in a changing world. I'm still there, but now I've expanded the topic beyond just, you know, career pivots or beyond career pivots or career changes. Now I talk about future of work. Now I talk about Mm -hmm. the impact of what's happening in a particular industry. Now I talk about, you know, um, for example, what the, the season that had just ended, what are people doing in different industries to uh, stay resilient in their mm-hmm. careers? That has nothing to do with career change or career pivot, right? And so I'm able to be more relevant to, I think, I feel like I'm able to be more relevant to what's happening in the current times and also um, explore, bring bring to my audience topics that um, I find interesting that I believe that they would find interesting too, and that are interesting in the you know in current times. I was going to say something else, but I forgot. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so that's kind of what I am. That's kind of what I'm doing now. Also, I've decided to let it be more seasonal, so that I mm-hmm. like my idea is to like really dive into a particular topic. Um, and then address that from different angles, as opposed to what I was doing before, which was like week in, week out, bringing stories of people who've done career change. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you have a lot of perspective on this, a healthy perspective of what you did before was great and it served the purpose that it had then. 
And what you're doing now is great. And it serves the purpose that you have for it now. And I think that's a really important aspect of thinking through the choices that we make from a place of uncertainty, because we're always making choices from a place of uncertainty, right? And so you made the best choice then mm-hmm. for the information that you had and the goals that you had and the vision that you had. And now you're making the best choices now for the information that you have and the business that you have. What, what is it that I think it was Dr. Maya Angelou. She said something like, uh, do what you know. And then when you know better, do better mm-hmm. or something along those yeah. lines. I feel like that's kind of how it's been for me. I may not have been able to make these decisions three years ago, four years ago, because I didn't know enough then, but now I can. And also, I think it also has to do with uh, better understanding of myself and better understanding of what, uh, not just what I want to do, but what I can do and where I can contribute better um, that I, I may not have had, you know, that sort of all those angles four, four, three, four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I know there's another aspect to the new business model, which is the (laughs) newsletter. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so going back to this idea of what do I have that I can like uh, use that as a strength, right? So the podcast was one. And so the other thing was, you know, I had all, I had already been publishing emails to my subscribers. Like, you know, I had been publishing weekly emails. So I said, what if this email is the product of a publishing company? Mm -hmm. What if it's not the dessert or the side dish? What if it's the main course? What would that look like? What if, this was actually the question I asked myself, what if this newsletter is the magazine that I talked about in 2014? Except that I don't actually, now that I know what it, (laughs) it takes to you don't do that. What would you do that? Exactly, right? <laughs> but I said, like, well, what if this is the equivalent of that idea of a magazine? And so I started. So this is this is the thing that I did. Um, that I thought again. I I feel like I I'm only I was only able to do this because I've been doing I've been working on a business for a few years, but quietly, without fanfare, without making any kind of announcement, I just started playing around, tweaking the newsletter week in, week out, adjusting, 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 without making any kind of announcement. I didn't (laughs) proclaim that I was doing anything different. I just started changing things little by little, trying different things, and then paying attention to the reaction of the readers, of my subscribers. Mm -hmm. What are they reading? What are they opening? What are they clicking? And you know what? I have more open. I noticed this that my open rates like were skyrocketing. Wow. Like I had open rates higher than I've ever had in all those years that I was writing emails. My click, you know, my, the clicks, the what do you call them? Click rates, whatever, mm-hmm. click through rates. Um, after all these years, I still don't know the terminologies, Tara, but those things, <laughs> um, they, were, they were also improving. And most importantly, you know how you can tell your quote unquote cold subscribers, people who haven't been opening your mm-hmm. emails for a long time. Oh my goodness. My cold subscribers were going down. Like they oh, wow. were opening my emails. They were reading. 
and they were responding to me. They were more than at any other point. They were telling me how they felt about this thing that I shared. And I said, okay, I, I hit something here. There is something here. I will continue doing this. The other thing that I did was I stopped. I had a lead-in magnet, had all kinds of lead-in magnets. I stopped doing that. And I said, if this was the product, then I have to have a value proposition for this outside of any kind of downloadable anything. Like if people subscribe to The Verge or Wired, not because of any lead-in magnet, they subscribe right. to The Wire because they want to read Wired. And so I thought, well, I will do that. And so I stopped and I just, again, I didn't have the, you know, I I didn't necessarily have the right words, but I, I tried to zero in on the value proposition of the newsletter on its own by itself without any kind of anything else. And um, which, by the way, you know, I finally came up with a name for it. Ooh, tell us. <laughs> uh, it's called Briefing Notes. Again, you see, so I've been playing around with it without a name. I didn't know what to call it. It hasn't come to me. Ordinarily, this would have been something that would have made me so uncomfortable because like, well, I named the thing and I didn't have a name. So I just kept calling it newsletter. It's like a breaks newsletter, sister newsletter of the podcast. But now I have a name and I'm allowing it to have its own space that is apart from the podcast. Um, so, again, the fact that people were subscribing even more than when I had leading magnets told me something. Um, and then one last thing that I want to share here, um, which I think collectively I felt like, I have product market fit. Now, I don't know if this mm-hmm. is the actual definition of product market fit, but I felt like I I arrived at a point where I, you know, I have fit. Um, I opened um, a tip jar mm. on the newsletter and I said uh, to myself, you know, because the newsletter right now is free, right? And so mm-hmm. I said, but how do I know that this is actually valuable outside of the fact that I was getting feedback from people and people opening it and people sending me comments and their, you know, and feedback on the newsletter? How would I know? And so I courageously, if I could use that word, yes, added a tip jar. And I said, if you like this newsletter, if you find value, I would love for you to buy me coffee. And oh my goodness, Tara, people are buying me coffee. Now, of course, this doesn't make me a millionaire or anything like that. But the fact that they are buying me coffee because of the newsletter that I produced told me something. And so I said, this is it. I, 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 I have a product. I have a product with value that people find value, valuable um, and that people read. And um, yeah. That is incredible. (laughs) That is absolutely incredible. I am so happy for you. So I have, I I, want to do some sort of emotional reflection on this, which I realize we've kind of been doing throughout, but let's actually, let's focus on this tip jar piece um, specifically because you've sort of you've sort of implied that all of this experimentation, like not having a name for the newsletter, not necessarily 
with some fanfare announcing this is the plan for the newsletter from now on. You were doing a lot of this experimentation behind the scenes and that that was uh, maybe a little unsettling for you or like out of character for you. Uh, And I think I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that because yeah, we uh, most of us, I think, like being able to say, oh, this is the way it's going to be from now on or look at this thing that I just did instead of being willing to experiment in public. Um, when you put that tip jar in your first newsletter edition, what was going on in your head? Were, did, what, what did that self-talk sound like? What was going on in my head at that time? I think, okay, so this wasn't, so... When I did this, I had already been receiving positive feedback, right? So I'd already seen the open rates increasing. I had already been getting responses to the emails. And I had been getting feedback from people saying, I love this newsletter. I, I read it all the time and all that kinds of stuff. And so when I finally said this, I don't, let me, what was I actually thinking? I think I was saying something along the lines of, if something, like if if I were to really if I were to get to the point where I can say this is ready to for for prime time, like this is ready to be launched, like launched mm-hmm. in quotation marks, um, I needed a way to measure if the, and that's not the right word, but I need a way to to see for myself whether this has va- this is really valuable to people mm-hmm. that that they are finding some value from this newsletter and i thought that more than anything else that that would that could be communicated to me or i would get that feedback from a tip jar where first of all it's voluntary and you could still continue to receive the newsletter even if you don't it's not like a subscription where if you don't subscribe, you won't get it. Yeah. So the fact that you will continue to get it, even if you don't provide me any anything, it but that you would do that to me, me meant something. Yeah. To me meant like, um, and I don't know if I ex- am explaining this correctly, but to me, it demonstrated to me that people found this thing that I create and give them every week valuable. Did you worry at all that you wouldn't get tips? Funny enough, for the first time ever, <laughs> I didn't worry about okay. whether I would get anything or not, which was, fun, you know, now that you ask that question, I've never thought about it that way. But funny enough, that is a, whoa, that's a gross area for me. That was big you know, thing, because that was one thing that I've always been working on, not, not, you know, the, the, like, you know, a lot of eyes certainly, is, when I put something out, I'm always worried about what would people think, would they mm-hmm. like this, would they, you know, but when I did that, I didn't, I didn't worry so much. I, I wasn't worried. It was more like, I don't know, I've never played a piano with a, with a tip jar. <laughs> on the piano but he probably felt that way I don't know like you would play the piano for the joy of playing the piano for the mm. you know what I mean and if they if they put a dollar or two that's great I don't know but I didn't I didn't 
Should I have? I didn't. No, I mean, either answer would have been great. Uh, I love, I love, love, love what you said about playing the piano with a tip jar is that you don't do it for the dips. You do it for the love of the piano. And the, that's where your commitment is. Yeah. Yeah. Then the tips are just extra. And that doesn't mean that you can't also use it as data, right? You yes. could have you could have been totally fine with not getting any tips and also saying, okay, if I don't get tips, it means I fine. need to change some things up or maybe I'll try yeah. something new. I'm not done experimenting exactly. yet. So I I love how you explained that. And I think it's so valuable from the standpoint of, well, one, the growth that you have displayed throughout this process. Like, Thank you for voicing all of that. Um, and then two, just how you framed up why you did it and uh, the context for it so that you didn't have to worry about people not tipping you. You didn't have to worry about doing things so that people like you and and approve yes. of you and have give you value, uh, which I can really identify with. So um, yeah. I mean, seriously, I think if I had thought about that tip jar longer... I might not have ever added it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, that would be my thing. That I would overthink it. And then I would say, you know what? It's not time. It's not ready. It's not there yet. The, the dang thing doesn't even have a name yet. I haven't announced anything. Let me postpone. But, you know, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think any of that. So how long did it take you from coming up with the idea to the of the tip jar to actually putting it in a newsletter? Okay, so there is a YouTuber named The Nerd Writer that I love, 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 The Nerd Writer. And, um, and so I, I watch all his videos. He, he does his, he calls it video essays. And he talks about, um, this is the funny thing, is like, you know, when we say, um, and this is probably not answering your question, but you know, you know, when we say, we 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 create something that people want mm -hmm. right that's that's the thing like we create we create what people want we give them what they want the nerd writer doesn't create a video essay about things that i want like i didn't know that i was interested to learn about the movie making of the parasite but hey he made it and i was totally into the thing right so he yeah. was creating things that he found interesting that he found totally exciting and interesting and he would nerd out about it and he would give us the essay the video essay and then at the end he would say hey if you like this you know you can give me a tip or like not in those words but a similar thing yeah and I'm like you know what that is very I found myself sort of what I'm doing sort of akin to what he's doing because I am in a way putting together stuff that I find interesting or I find important or I find that you guys should know about these things, not necessarily because they're asking for it. And hey, if you find this valuable, you know, give me a tip. And it literally, it was that. Like, I think I saw, it was just like a weekend. I was watching his stuff and I noticed that he said that. And I said, you know what? You know, I, maybe I'll do that. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. <laughs> it probably required a lot more strategic thought, Tara, but I didn't. I didn't. I know. Really Why didn't. would it? It's something, <laughs> it is something so small. And I think, you know, give yourself some credit. This whole interview has been like a masterclass in strategic visioning. 
right? <laughs> and we'll talk about that. I'll talk about that in the in the intro and the outro. But what I think the reason that you could make such a fast decision there is because of the many layers of strategic thinking that you'd already done. And I, I think that that process of being very intentional about choosing what you want, choosing the vision that you have, choosing what you want more of in your life, choosing all of these things, making those kinds of commitments, then allows for that sort of, oh, you know, fast decision making, oh, that's what I should do next, or I'm going to, oh, I'm going to try that. Um, As we start to wrap up here, I guess I'm, I'm curious if you feel like this it, it it sounds like you have learned the skill at this point of choosing uncertainty, of choosing to do something that you don't know what the result is going to be, but this is what you want to do, that, or this is this is the next choice on your path forward. Um, and I, I I don't have a fully formed question, unfortunately, but I, I guess I'm curious if you feel that same way. Does it does it feel to you like this is something that you've gotten better at over time? Um, it, has it gotten easier? I definitely think that there are certain things that had that I've gotten better at because I've been working on them for years. <laughs> um, and so so a couple of things that you will find you'll probably find these familiar because I ask you these things a million different ways in the past few years. Uh, and they are the things that I've been working on. One is this idea of um, uh, asking questions with no answers. Like I mm. have been so bad with that for years. That is something that I have been working on for years. My And my MBTI is I am an INTJ and my TJ is off the charts. So mm-hmm. I have to find answers. I have to make decisions. And otherwise I dig myself over the head. But so this, this, just this, ask the question, even if you don't know the answers, just ask it, let it, let it be. Was something that I've been working on for years. And I think I finally got to the point where I wouldn't say 100%, but maybe 75% of the time I can ask the question and be okay with not having an answer yet. And the trusting that at some point, the answer, I will find the answer or parts of it that will lead me to more questions. <laughs> um, so that one, one of the things that I've been working on that I think are paying, paying dividends finally. The other thing is, again, you will find this uh, familiar because I've asked you this many times, is this idea of focusing on the process versus focusing on the results. Again, Mm. this is something that I have been struggling with coming from corporate America. I was very results oriented and um, I had been working on this for a long time, but I find that I am getting better at at this thing more and more, um, especially with this thing that I'm doing, because I don't, I don't know. I never been in this situation before. No one in my family has ever done this before. Um, I can't look at you or any, any of my role models to see like, how do they do it? Like nobody's done this. And so I have to just be trusting of the process of the Mm -hmm. habits of the daily practices. And then also finding, uh, success 
from the doing of the processes versus finding success from the achieving of a result. You know what I mean? Like yes, yeah. And 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 then and I find the find like finding self confidence from the doing versus the achieving. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely know what you mean. <laughs> um, and that seems like the perfect place to wrap this up, although I could keep talking to you about the subject all day long. Uh, Lou, what are you excited about right now? Oh, my goodness. What am I excited about? So um, this is very fresh in my mind because I had just heard this quote from someone I, at another uh, Future of Work workshop that I attended. One of the presenters, she said, this is the age for the amateur and um, because we, you know, the world is open for anybody who can figure out the new unmet needs. And for that, I am very excited. I'm very excited that I am here, that I get to participate. And, you know, I know we are in a period of disruption. I know it's hard and um, it's going to get harder before it gets better. But we're also in a period of discovery and mm-hmm. um and and with that necessarily comes opportunities for all kinds of different things to make different things to talk about different things to whatever it is that you want to make or add to the conversation so i'm i'm just excited to to be part of that that's awesome lou blazer <laughs> thank you so very much for sharing your story and your decision-making process and all of the growth that you have experienced and the, and the beautiful way that you're putting it out into the world. Thank you. I hope that it made sense to you and to other people, but thank you. Lou asked two extremely important questions as she embraced uncertainty. What if and what would that look like? These are questions I've been asking business owners for years as they pivot or step into a new vision for their businesses. I love these questions because they shed the expectation that you have to get it right, that you have to know the answer. What if is a question that is playful and experimental by its very nature. And what would that look like? Well, that question is creative and imaginative. It helps you step away from your assumptions and normal ways of operating to see new possibilities. If you're thinking about how to plan for the next phase of your business, try these two questions out. What if? What could that look like? And then see where your imagination takes you. Find out more about Lou Blazer at secondbreaks.com and find the Second Breaks podcast wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, I'll talk with Sarah Avenir, the CEO of Digital Agency and Yet, about how she's leading her team amidst uncertainty. If you're ready to create a plan for your business that embraces uncertainty, be sure to join me for the Commitment Blueprint Sessions. It's a four-part live workshop on creating a flexible plan that moves you closer to your vision little by little. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash commitment to save your spot. What Works is a production of Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistant is Kristen Runvik. <laughs>